Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and I'm talking to a new friend who is a council member in Massachusetts, in uh, Quincy. Her name is Nina Liang, and uh, she's got a lot of great perspective about what she is doing in Massachusetts, but why more people should run for office, including getting more women to get involved in politics. And I think that hopefully you will listen to this conversation and either decide to run for office yourself or encourage someone else to do it, because we can only win elections and change the country and change our communities by getting involved. And if you can, make sure to look at past episodes, including episodes from Massachusetts and from every other state and D.C. on the You Should Run podcast. But... For now, I'm excited to talk to you, Nina. You have a lot wealth of experience. You're involved in like 300 different groups of some sort. I don't know how you keep track of your own personal schedule um, and how you get any sleep, um, but I appreciate you taking some time to talk today. Thanks so much, Council. I appreciate it. And I think that's something that um, we're all, and I'm sure you can relate, we're all bits of, of, of sort of plans for punishment when it comes to that, right? That we have a very hard time saying no um, in this role particularly. And um, yeah, so I know, I know you can relate with that work as well. So you say you have people have a hard time saying no. Um, the politics in your area and the atmosphere there may be different from mine. Um, do you get asked to do a lot of things? Is that kind of how sometimes someone like you gets into things or that because you've been involved for so long? Just a matter of um, relationship building and networking, right? Mm-hmm. I find that, you know, not just in this role of counselor, but in my day job as the executive director for Emerge Massachusetts, which, you know, we can get into later about what that organization is, right? It's really about build upon those relationships and expand your network so that you can help other people, right? And um, it sounds, you know, I don't mean to make it sound so base and simple, but that's that's really what it is. You know, if somebody reaches out, for example, and they have a question that is super personal um, and they need help, you know, just a recommendation or a referral or, you know, they don't know who to reach out to. The fact that they see me as one of the nine counselors who serve our city, they'll just reach out and say, hey, this is something that I need. It's super personal. It's in the private sector. Do you know how to help me? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, maybe I'm not, I, I, I'm not able to help with that one specific issue, but it just in the connections that I've made, maybe I can connect that person to somebody else, right? And so on and so forth. And so that's what I mean when I say it's hard to say no. Like I never want to turn someone away just because it's not in my formal job description, right? Or it's not um, something that's in my purview as a city councilor. If I know that I can make connections for somebody um, and help that person out in that way, then I certainly want to do so. And from a lot of people I know personally and from talking with people on this podcast, some of the best ways to be successful in political life, whether it's as a, you know, as a staff person, campaigns, in office, is to try and find as many ways to get to yes as possible on, on anything. I think that a, a very, I think it's a really good way of putting it, right, essentially, because, you know, even if you're at a no, I think that we should always be approaching things as a no and, mm-hmm. right? And, what I mean by that is, you know, we're not ever going to be able to get anything done on our own, right? I simply, and you simply, just by way of how the laws work, you know, we, we can't pass things by a sole vote, right? Uh, if we're the only ones voting for something, if we're the only ones who are backing something, you really need the support of your colleagues. You need collaborative efforts with other people in elected office as well. And so I think you make a great point 
um, that people should keep in mind. And again, it's not just those in elected office, right? It's those who run campaigns. It's those who, you know, work in um, government, right? It's, it's a no and, right? If you're not at a yes on something because there are some changes you want to make or maybe there's, you know, some language that you're not comfortable with, sit down and have a conversation, you know, with that person you disagree with. You know, there's there are ways that I think people can come together to, you know, agree to disagree on something and at the end of the day, look at that, that you know, project or the policy, whatever it is that they're working on and say, we all have the same end goal, right, is, is to pass this and to move forward and see how it benefits the residents we serve. So how can we come to an agreement on the language that's in front of us, right? How can we come to agreement on the methods on how we're going to get there? But at the end of the day, like, let's say you and I, you know, are serving together. If you and I can't come to an agreement on something and move forward with the project or move forward with the policy or move forward with the promise that we made, then we're both going to be really ineffective, right? We're not going to be able to actually help the people that we're seeking out to help. And so I think that's a good point. It's, it's how do we all get to a yes together um, without being disrespectful to, you know, where each of us are coming from on that. But before you got to a yes as a member of elected office, and even as a candidate, you had to have gotten some sort of start in terms of, you know, paying attention to politics um, and being part of the process. Do you do you have a kind of a memory of when you became kind of politically aware and active? Is it something that was always part of your family life, or was it something that happened locally or nationally that said, you know, I better really um, make this an important part of my life? Yes, it's, it's, um, I appreciate you asking that because I actually um, was not politically involved at all, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> whatsoever, you know, in the least bit. Um, you know, my family's not very political at all either. You know, my I come from an immigrant family. Um, we all grew up really, really close to each other. Um, you know, we all live within spitting distance of each other, you know, so we have a super You shouldn't close be spitting at people and, anymore, Nina. That's something I've learned this year is there should be no spitting between distances. Uh, definitely not. Uh, metaphorically speaking, you know. Um, no, but we just, you know, we all, I think, came um, with the idea of, you know, keep your head down, work hard. And, you know, we were really lucky. We are really blessed as a family to be able to be successful um, here in the city. And it's because of the community, right? They came out to support us. We started a small business in the family. Um, and you know, as a family unit, we were able to be successful because of them. And so we got to the point where, uh, you know, our philanthropic efforts were really important for us, you know, so taking the time to volunteer for local nonprofits, you know, donating and giving back to local organizations, it meant a lot to us. And it was really important for us to do that because again, they as a community sustained our small business by coming out and dining at our restaurants, right. And supporting us over the years. So it was super important for us to also give back. And, you know, that's as involved as involved as I was with the community. I, I was not politically involved whatsoever. Um, you know, in the time between when I was legally able to, to actually vote at 18 to the time I ran for office at 27, you know, almost a decade in between, I voted twice in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it. And those were for presidential races. You know, I, I had not voted for any state or local races. You know, my neighbor at the time um, was a city councilor, knew him for a very long time, but I couldn't tell you what a city councilor was. Uh, my other neighbor down the street was a state representative. Again, amazing guy, right? I know a lot about him as a person, but I can tell you what his job was. And so I was not politically active whatsoever. Um, but I think the turning point for me was, you know, as somebody whose family, entire family, right, was invested in the city, our small businesses were invested here, you know, our entire success as a family and well-being and, and ability to keep our lights on was, you know, it was invested here in the city. There was a lot of changes um, it was happening all at once and we weren't part of that conversation, mm. right? As 
somebody who was born and raised here, you know, again, whose entire family is invested in the city, who owns small business, you know, small businesses here, part of being engaged in how the city was going to move forward and how the city was changing. It was really jarring, right, to think about, well, who else is being ignored? You know, if, if we have as much of a stake here in the city as much as any other family does, um, and we're not part of the conversation, you know, who else is being left behind? And it was extremely frustrating for a long time. There were other small businesses who were being jeopardized. And, you know, at one point I was talking to somebody and they said, well, you should think about running for city council. And I remember laughing out loud because not as an insulting way, but in a way that was like, I don't know what a city councilor does. You know, <laughs> I don't know. How do you, how do you run for this seat? I'm not even sure what that means. And so, um, you know, it was that, that was that sort of point for me, you know, where I, I was lucky enough to be surrounded by incredible family um, really, really talented folks in this sort of political industry here in the state that I, you know, that I got connected to, um, and off we went, you know, and I decided if I ran and I lost, I could still, you know, continue to be a part of the community and help in ways that I have been up until this point, just in a different way. Um, and if I ran and I won, well, then it would be, you know, extremely important for me to prioritize engagement, you know, specifically for those communities who aren't your typical, like, super voters, right? Aren't your typical folks who've engaged a lot because, that was me, you mm-hmm. know, I was that person that was being ignored all that time. And so it was really important for me, um, you know, if I were to run and win, which I did, luckily, um, that that would always be one of my top priorities is, is, you know, engaging folks who maybe aren't registered voters, engaging folks who aren't super active politically because they still live here, you know, and they deserve as much representation as anybody else does. Yeah, you know, when you put it that way... Um... If you ran and didn't win, someone like you who comes from a community uh, that may not be maybe overlooked by the the politicians that are there, whether it's in local government or state or whatever, if you uh, consolidate power and show that there's power there, like even if it's 40% of the vote or 30% of the vote cares about these overlooked communities, then the people who win might get the mentality of, well, we need, we can't ignore those people anymore, even if the regular person want like that we have to make sure we're looking at these people who um, clearly have a bigger political force than we recognize. Yeah. And that's a great segue back to even the title of your podcast. You should run, right? Mm-hmm. Is that a hundred percent people should run people who are doing the work, people who know their communities best, right? People who are entrenched in these communities because they, you know, run a small business there or they raise their kids there or they chose to move to that area because they want to raise their kids there, whatever the case may be, you know, they're qualified to run. Um, I, I, you know, in a day job at Emerge Massachusetts as the executive director there, we're the Massachusetts branch of the Emerge National Organization. Uh, we train democratic, self-identified women to run for office. And, you know, one of the things I've heard so much um, the three years I've been doing that training program, you know, we've organization it's been around since 2008 trained you know close to 500 women um even in my three years there you know 150 200 women that we trained there's not a single one that hasn't had that conversation of well am i qualified Uh well i'm not sure if well i'm not this you know and it's it's so interesting because again i was in that space too and and i still do find a little bit of imposter syndrome happening right but um it all comes back to the fact that it feels like, well, you don't see anybody representative of you in these positions. And so it's very difficult to then turn around and say, well, why am I suddenly then qualified if I look at the slate of people who represent me? None of them look like me. So clearly, I shouldn't be in that space. 
you know, and, and that's maybe a really hyperbolic way of looking at it, but that's the impact of that, right. Of not having meditation is that sometimes you look and you say, okay, well, that's just not meant for me then, you know? Um, and again, this, this ties beautifully to this title of, of the podcast. You should run because why not you? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and counsel, I'm sure you might've had those moments, mm-hmm. right. When you were running for office where it was like, I'm not really sure, you know, am I the right one to be doing this? And, but why not you, right. you know, and, and think about all that you've been able to accomplish, you know, since you've been in office, right. And had you not stepped up to run in the first place, you know, the work that you've accomplished in your time might not ever gotten done, you know? And so I really challenge people to think about that when they're listening to podcasts. And I love that you're doing this type of podcast and getting this message out there because I really would like to encourage people to turn around and think, why not you? You know, you are, again, if, if you are familiar with your community, you know some of the changes that need to get done, why not? You know, and, and if you feel like you're at that point in time where you can't serve the community the, the right way anymore, then you step down and you let somebody else run or you make way for the next folks, right? But sit back and, and you know, fall into that imposter syndrome and think, well, I, I was politically involved or I have a horrible voting record, right? Or anything like that. Well, that was me. You know, I was that person and I ran it and here I am. So um, I absolutely, again, think that similarly to the, you know, the title, you should run, why not you? Right. Um, so I hope people will take that to heart and, and think about that very seriously. Yeah, I know that I even when I ran for re-election, I was like, wow, the person who decided to run against me, he's not bad. Maybe like, you know, I don't I mean, he might be a better person than me. And then I had to be a friend of mine said, no, you you got elected for a reason. You should you should be make sure that you're running again. And um, but the thing I also um think about what that is, and I've talked to other people about this, is maybe we need to change our perception of what qualified means for government, what government positions, especially elected positions, are supposed to be, because I am not qualified to be a surgeon or a doctor. If someone came to me with, like, a burst appendix, that would be terrible for them. Um, But government's not supposed to be just a list of qualifications. It's supposed to be a representative government, right? Is that something that you try to... uh, push out there as a message, especially with Emerge and the great work you're doing there. And that's why I think, again, you know, we always try to encourage folks, you know, why not you, right? Why shouldn't you be the one to run for office? And, you know, everyone brings a different set of experiences and priorities to the table, right? Again, I come from a small business background and so finance and investments, like that's, you know, um, but to your point, if somebody comes to me about a medical issue, I'm going to point you to, you know, the closest doctor I can find you, right? Mm-hmm. I, I should not be, you know, diagnosing any of that by any means. But I think that also speaks to something else that, you know, I really try to stress to folks who come through the program, um, who are doubting themselves, whatever the case may be, and, you know, wonder about their qualifications, is that you're not meant to do this alone, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're not meant to be in this space to write policy, to implement policy, to help things on your own, right? This goes back to the sort of earlier point in the conversation we were just having, you know, politics and representative and, and I think, you know, effective government is so much more than you and I who sit in elected office, right? Mm-hmm. It's the team of people we have around us. It's the advisors, the friends, the volunteers, you know, um, campaign team, you know, chief of staffs, like whatever it may be, you know, good and representative government and effective government consists of all of those people, right? And, and the reason why I say that is because there are some people who don't ever want to run for office, mm-hmm. but they are really good at writing policy, mm-hmm. right? And involved those folks are just as important as you and I are right and and that's 
I think what a lot of people also don't recognize, what I certainly didn't realize coming into this, is that there are other ways that you can be impactful um, in these kinds of spaces without being the person in elected office as well. But then on the flip side, when you do come to office, please recognize and appreciate those around you who are going to help you be effective, right? If there's, you know, certainly not on the local level, but at the state and federal level, if I'm writing policy around healthcare, right? And doctors should be doing around a burst appendix, right? And how they should handle that or, you know, what the process might be. If there's any sort of um, legislation around that, I I certainly shouldn't be the one writing that from my own knowledge because there is a lack thereof, right? But it is my responsibility to make sure that in representing this community, that I am making sure to engage those in that community, right? I'm, I'm looking to make sure that I include and, and again, you know, really factor in everyone's thought process who is in that community, who's informed and educated in that community, right? So, you know, it's it's not just about what you bring to the table. It's super important, just as much, I think, um, to think about who you're engaging every step of the way in the work that you do. Yeah, I think about that a lot, especially recently, because with a lot of the changes happening with uh, local government with the COVID precautions, um, and we just had this big storm here, which was very terrible in my town um, and, and other towns here where we don't normally have that kind of storm. Uh, there are a lot of elected officials, even with good intentions, who are like, well, I am the manager. It's like, no, you're not. You're the board member. There's a manager there. There's a public works director. There's a you know someone who is there for public safety. There is a police officer, a fire department. Trust the experts. That's why they are there. And that's why you hired them and kept them because you're supposed to, if you don't value their judgment, then why do you have them in that position? Very well put. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, um, excuse my language, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I think it's certainly important to recognize where your blind spots are, right? Because there are, again, a flock of people around you in the community um, who can, you know, really have a specialty in that blind spot of yours. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? None of us are supposed to know it all. Things change over time. Things continue to evolve over time. And so it's super important to, again, recognize and appreciate that resource you have around you, right? Those people who are, you know, maybe engineers who can talk to you, counselor, about what we're going to do to, you know, create better seawalls maybe in the area, Mm -hmm. right? And, And better secure you know, your city and town for the next flood or the next storm that might come, right? And and I'm certainly not an engineer, so I shouldn't be the one that makes those decisions. But to your point, we have incredible staff members in our public works department who does know that information. So that's the person I should be going to when I'm thinking about what can we do as counselors in our role in this issue moving forward, right? I can't do that on my own. It's a huge collaborative effort. And I think you know, again, getting to the yes, right? Yes, we want to be effective. We want to try to fix this and we're going to help people. How do we get there? You engage people around you who know this kind of work, you know? And again, who are able to sort of fill in those blind spots that you might have on an issue. So you ran for office in Quincy. And I, I don't know Quincy too much aside from like hearing from Ben Affleck talk about it in some movie a couple times because I think he always <laughs> has to mention something like that. So maybe Matt Damon said, though, that's my vision of Quincy. I've been to Boston. I've been to other parts of Massachusetts because my wife lives in Rhode Island. Um, so, so, I mean, I'm not an expert, but um, the politics there are off, uh, obviously much different than the politics in South Carolina, I would assume. Um, so, but when you ran, you had issues you wanted to do, not, not just to make sure that certain communities were not overlooked, but you wanted to get things done. Were there issues that you wanted 
to um, really prioritize and things that came up that you're like, well, now that I'm in office, I didn't realize we need to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So um, one of the first things I had done that I'm super, super proud of was because, again, you know, thinking back on the reason why I ran for office, right? There mm-hmm. were, again, a lot of people in the small business community who were being ignored, you know, and, and folks feeling like they weren't part of the process of our city, you know, redeveloping. I mean, our downtown, or break at this point, you know, we used to be called Shoppers Town USA. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot to see way back when, you know, a lot of folks came to Quincy and it just, it was thriving here, you know, and not in like a lot of places that went downhill. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this, this construction, this development, this change that I'm talking to you about was really that pivotal moment for our city about, are we going to be able to redevelop here and attract folks to Quincy and move forward? Or are we really just going to continue down this downward spiral? And so it was a really momentous time for our city. It was a really important time for our city. Um, but again, you know, as a resident here, as somebody who's born and raised here, a small business owner here, feeling left out of the conversation is really jarring, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the first things I did um, when I got into office is actually implement um, another sort of checks and balance, another layer that essentially said if you develop in these downtown areas on public-owned land, city-owned land, you have to go through the city council for approvals, right? And that created an additional layer of engagement for the public, right? So not only do these developers have to go to the planning board and have those public meetings, they also now have to come in front of the city council. We can call for more public engagement, more public meetings, you know, more dialogue, more review, just to make sure that more people are engaged in this process. And so I was really excited to be able to do that. Um, and that's still in place as of today. And then one of the things where you sort of hesitated and be like, oh, I didn't realize that I was responsible for that was um, actually also within the same year, my first term, you know, it was, again, this was, uh, I got elected in 2015, you know, it was coming into 2016, um, you know, when Trump had taken office, there were all these conversations about, you know, what's going to happen with the sanctuary cities and all of that in 2017. And, you know, it was a, a big point of contention, obviously nationwide, but locally as well, you know, getting inundated with phone calls and emails from folks wondering, you know, I'm hearing about, you know, sanctuary cities or, you know, different terms, you know, tossed around for safe communities, all of this. And nationally it's happening in different cities and towns in Massachusetts. It's happening in different cities and towns. You know, people are asking what's the deal here in Quincy with that, you know? And I remember just thinking like, you know, cause it's such a large conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And we're thinking like, huh, I wonder how we figure that out. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh, we're responsible for that. Like, we're responsible for mm-hmm. figuring that out. <laughs> it was sort of that aha light switch moment where it was like, oh, wait, we asked to step into this role. We need to have this conversation. You know, even if it's uncomfortable, even if there are folks who are extremely divided on it, the fact, the fact is people on both sides of the issue stood on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was our responsibility to have that conversation in a very public, engaging way. And so, you know, that was another sort of light switch moment for me where I realized, oh, wait, when you're looking around trying to figure out who's responsible for this, you have to sort of realize, oh, wait, you are. <laughs> you stepped into this role. You asked to do this work. And so um, that was a really tough but, um, you know, engaging process that I think was really important for us to have that conversation. And it was something that I didn't realize at the time that we were responsible for having. Um, so I'm glad we did. And it's interesting, your experience, because a lot of people I've talked to on the podcast were, were elected uh, even more recently than that. Their, their impetus for running was – 
uh, Donald Trump in some way. Some people were elected to different kinds of office um, many years before then. So maybe Obama was their impetus. A lot of times their impetus for running was someone else that ran for office, whether it was for president or for governor or something in their state um, or maybe the mayor in their city. Like something happened from someone else. But you have seen firsthand how local government as well has become so nationalized. Like everything's nationalized now, right? Like I imagine a lot of the people who you have trained through Emerge and talked to um, maybe now are running for office even though they're inspired by Trump or um, Biden or, or Harris or any of that national stuff even though they're running for mayor or council. Um, but you also know people that were um, – elected to office who went because they wanted to change the sewer system or make sure that we could get more public engagement on uh, community investment. And they didn't run for these national issues. That's not the reason they got into these local offices. You know, how is there an easy way to, to square that, to make it so that, you know, running for office does not seem so overwhelming and exhausting that you have to take on every issue in the world? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to, right? Ultimately, um, and this is something that we, you know, or I'd like to stress at Emerge when we do the training program, is that at the end of the day, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, you're only as strong as a team that mm -hmm. you have around you, right? Um, even then, though, at the end of the day, and I, I know you know as well as an elected official, your name is the one that is on that ballot, right? Your name is the one that's on those signs, and you are the one putting yourself out there, right? Ultimately... Whatever decision you make, you have to be able to go to bed at night and live with yourself and look in the mirror and be okay, right? Mm -hmm. and so, yeah. You know, these positions are what you make of it, right? It, it's it's whatever you decide you want to ultimately do at the end of the day. You know, I, I mean, I'm again, very blessed and very, very lucky to have incredibly brilliant people around me. Um but even their guidance, if they're all pointing me to go right, you know, everybody and, you know, again, these are people I trust wholeheartedly are like, go right, go right, go right, you know, and I'm like, go left, you know, whatever decision you decide to make, I have to live with that decision, yeah. you know, it certainly has a massive impact, but you have to also think about that when you're making your decision, you know, and so to answer your question about how do people sort of square away you know, I didn't come in, but I didn't, you know, when I ran in 2015, I did not come into the role thinking about national issues at all, but all, all politics is local. National politics is all local, right? Um, you know, you have to decide for yourself how and when and what issues to take up and, and, and how you want to approach them. And it really is up to you at the end of the day to, to figure out how you want to, to square the way with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. There are some folks who, you know, don't want to have those conversations and that's perfectly okay. You know, there might be some folks who are like, I love that. Don't have those conversations. Think about my pothole. Right. And the other people who are like, okay, I know you're going to fix my pothole, but I also need you to think about this other larger issue, you know, and you as an elected official have to think for yourself, despite all of the feedback, despite all the support and the advice and the guidance, it's still you that has to make a decision, right? It has to be something that you're comfortable with. So there's no right or wrong answer here. I don't think there's a, yes, you should definitely think about national issues and ignore local or only think about local and ignore national, right? Because again, it's all local, right? It all comes back to what happens with your neighbors and what they think and what they say and what they want. And frankly, if you're not the kind of elected leader that they want, well, they're going to vote you out, right? right. Come election time. So 
you have to, I think for me anyways, um, what's been helpful in sort of guiding me through these decisions and conversations, right, is, is surrounding myself again with these really talented people who I trust wholeheartedly, ask for their guidance, ask for their advice, and then take all of that into consideration, you know, put it all together, really, you know, think thoroughly about this and move forward with the best decision I can make based off of all of that, you know, whether that's, you know, having that, that important conversation or, or not, because there's something else that's a, a primary focus right now. Um, there are folks who, as much as they want that dead tree cut down in front of their house, um, will in the same breath ask me, you know, what do I think right now about what's going on in Afghanistan, right? And these are the same people that are saying, well, you know. Smith goes home and takes care of their children or council member. Um, Leanne goes home and she takes care of, you know, her house and needs to pay her water bill too, like... That's something that I feel um, off. There are folks who like some long conversations with on policy because it just drives me crazy. You know, drives me up a wall where they stand on these issues. I'm all over for dinner, right? And that's how their kids are doing in the cross. And I think, you know, there are some people who carry both those traits. They are just bad people, right? Are crummy people, and they also politically are very different from where I am on things. And that's okay too, right? We just again agree to disagree, and you move on. You know, that's it. I think um, defamation of character is not something that I'm a fan of. I don't think it's helpful to anybody. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, again, you agree to disagree. I can think what happened. A proof that you can improve any function and interpret on large 